Well, one of the biggest stories of 2019 was the U.S. women's soccer team's victory at the World Cup in France. With that goal from Rose Lavelle, the team took a 2-0 lead against the Netherlands, a lead they would never relinquish, and a lead which won them their second consecutive World Cup championship. Now, as much as the team made waves on the field, they also made waves off the field. These sportswomen have leveraged their success and their notoriety to lead the charge for equal pay for women. The Equal Pay Act, signed by JFK in 1963, uh, made it illegal to pay men and women different salaries for similar work. But, according to team leaders Alex Morgan and Megan Rapinoe, that is exactly what is happening to them and millions of other female workers around the world. The team has filed a class action lawsuit against the United States Soccer Federation alleging an unfair and massive gender pay gap difference uh, compared to the men. For their 20 contractually obligated games, at least according to one source, the U.S. men's team would earn a base salary of about $263,000 compared to the $99,000 earned by the women. This, despite the fact the women's team actually draws higher TV ratings and, um, I don't know, wins. (laughs) Now, the USS argues in response that differences in pay are simply the result of market realities. The men's team just makes more money, lots more money. But the women have taken their case to the public and received chance of equal pay wherever they go. The case is set to go to trial soon, but mediators are actually furiously trying to work out some sort of revenue-sharing agreement. Stay tuned. Fairness is a big deal to us. It always has been. Equal pay for equal work is a bedrock principle of employment law. It seems only right that people should get the same income for the same labor. But is that true? And if so, how do we know that it's true? And does God operate like that? In the kingdom of God, can we trust that God will treat us all fairly, equally? Is God confined to notions of human fairness. And if life or God doesn't always treat us as fairly as we believe we should be treated, how should we respond? How should we live in an unfair world? These are the questions that lie at the heart of the passage of Scripture I want to read and study with you this morning. We're starting a new sermon series here at Rooftop. It is called True Story. Life-changing truths from the parables of Jesus. Our goal here at Rooftop is to get to know Jesus really well. Our goal here at Rooftop is to get to know Jesus as the Son of God who came to earth 2,000 years ago. Uh, Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago to do several important things. He came to die for our sins. He came to destroy the power of death. And he also came to teach us. He came to teach us about life and faith and God. Jesus was a really good teacher. And Jesus did what really good teachers do lots of. Jesus told stories. Jesus told lots of stories. Jesus taught in these things called parables. A parable is a short story or a word picture that illustrates, oftentimes in very surprising ways, lessons about God and life with him. Over one-third of what Jesus had to say while on earth He said it in story form. Uh, Depending on how you count them, there are somewhere between 40 and 60 different parables. And those are just the ones we have. 
between 40 and 60 different parables in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are so many parables, in fact, that I had a hard time picking which ones to teach on. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't cut many of them. So I just included most of them. Uh, We're going to do the short ones. We're going to do the long ones. We're going to do the hard ones. We're going to do the weird ones. Uh, we're going to do the famous ones. We're going to do the, the obscure ones. We're going to do about 30 of them in two series, parts one and parts, part, parts, one and part two. Uh, part one is going to take us through Easter, and then we'll do part two at a later date to be determined. Now, why are we studying the par- parables? Well, for a few reasons. Like I said, and first, to get to know Jesus... In order to get to know Jesus better, you have to get to know him as a storyteller. Also, we've never really studied the parables. We've talked about them here, though, here or there. We've like, kind of mentioned them, but we've never like, just gone after the parables. I am slowly becoming an old man. I have a list in my brain of topics and books of the Bible that I want to make sure I teach on before I die. I do not want to get to the end of my ministry and think I wish I'd had time to study the parables. I don't want that to happen. So we're going to study the parables. I hope I make it through the series. But most importantly, we're studying the parables because we live in a confusing world. It's really hard these days to tell what's important. Everything we see in the media seems super duper important, a matter of life, of life and death. It's also hard even to know what's true anymore and what's real. The rise of fake news, and whether or not you even think that's a thing, the rise of fake news has us suspicious of everything. We'll see a story on our social media feed or CNN or Fox News, and we'll wonder instinctively, is it true? And maybe to what degree it's true. Both the right and the left specialize in spinning stories and crafting narratives to manipulate us into thinking whatever they want us to think about the world. In these very confusing times, we need to remember what is really important, what is really true. Jesus' parables reveal that to us. They are fictional accounts of faith that contain eternal truth. They're fiction, but there's nothing fake newsy about them. They are true stories about the most important thing, life with God. So we're going to kick off our series on the parables this morning by starting with one that I think demonstrates just how effectively Jesus uses stories to challenge us and even to tick us off. Jesus was not afraid to tick us off. This is a story that the U.S. women's soccer team might not like. More importantly, though, far more importantly, it's a story that you and I might not like. But that doesn't mean it isn't true or important. Let me read to you then the story of the parable, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. It's Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard. I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. 
He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon, did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came, and they each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Well, I should think so, right? But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Wait, 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 wait. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Good story. (laughs) Maybe you know the story. Just so we all understand what's going on in the story, let me go ahead and recast it for you. Uh, Jesus tells this parable to illustrate what life is like in the kingdom of God. That's what Matthew writes. For the kingdom of heaven is like this story. Uh, Many of Jesus' parables are actually illustrations of what kingdom life is like. The kingdom of heaven. It's actually one of Jesus' favorite topics to teach on. Now, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is not necessarily heaven up there. The kingdom of heaven is what it's like to live under God's rule with him as our king here on earth. And things work differently in the kingdom of heaven for us as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Things work differently for us in the kingdom of heaven here on earth than they do on earth. Jesus tells lots of parables to describe how to live well in the kingdom under the rule of God, while here on earth. Now, in this particular kingdom parable, Jesus tells the story of a landowner who needs some workers for his vineyard. He hires some at 9 a.m. for a denarius. Denarius is about a day's wage back in Jesus' day. Then the landowner hires more workers at noon, at 3, at 5. Maybe the work wasn't going that fast. The landowner needed more helpers. Now, after work that day, when he goes to settle up with everyone, he pays them all a denarius, so the ones who worked like early get the same as the ones who were hired late. Now the latecomers, how do you imagine they felt? They're understandably grateful. Thank you for this undeserved salary. But the workers who had been there all day, they were upset. Jesus says they began to grumble. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. We had to work through the sun, we had to work, and they didn't, and you gave them the exact same that we got. The latecomers are getting paid for work they didn't do. Now, as Jesus describes, however, the landowner is sympathetic, but he is unmoved. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. And by the way, I don't think that's a friendly friend. I think we should put that friend in air quotes. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. Shoo, shoo, shoo. 
I want to give the one who is hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? That's the parable. Now, what does it mean? In order to understand what a parable means, and this one, of course, we need to do something that we're going to be doing a lot of during this series. To really understand a parable, you're going to have to identify, you're going to have to look for what we'll call points of contact, or POCs, or pox, or pokes, or just points of contact. In all of Jesus' parables, different characters or different events have their real-life parallel or points of contact. Usually, the points of contact are the key events or the main characters, not necessarily the minor characters. And we're going to get into that when we talk about minor characters and we talk about uh, the notion of, um, of allegory, but we're not going to talk about that for a few weeks. And that's our first step here, though. What are the primary points of contact between the story and real life in the kingdom? Well, let's start with the key characters. The landowner is almost certainly God. Jesus doesn't say this for certain. And some scholars wonder just how godlike the landowner is. I mean, he's kind of surly. Uh, isn't the best project manager. <laughs> I mean, he would have been much better off hiring a whole bunch of people in the morning. <laughs> and then kind of letting them go as the work was completed. But management problems aside, we can be certain that the landowner is God. How do we know? Because Jesus describes the landowner in terms similar to how God is described in Scripture, notably his generosity and his freedom to act as he chooses. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money, or are you envious because I am generous? God is revealed in the story to be a generous God who takes care of everybody, but according to his own free will, occasionally treats others differently, even better than some. Now, this can be frustrating when you see life or God treating other people better than you. We're going to talk about that. The other point of contact in the story is the upset workers. Who are the upset workers? The workers who get angry. This answer isn't actually as obvious Scholars really like to debate the identity of the upset workers in an effort to kind of nail down as specifically as possible who is Jesus talking about. Some people think the upset workers are the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were Jesus' religious opponents. They were always complaining that Jesus showed love and grace to sinners, latecomers to the kingdom. Some scholars think that the upset workers were the disciples. Jesus had his disciples. And the disciples were always arguing amongst themselves about who should be first and who should be last, about who was greatest. For my part, I actually don't think we need to worry and get super specific when it comes to identifying the workers. Whether it's the Pharisees, whether it's the disciples, I think it's safe to identify the workers as a group of people we're just going to generically call the envious. The workers are those who are jealous of the generosity shown by God towards other people. Jesus tells this parable to contrast what life is like in the world against what life is like in the kingdom. In the world, we are envious and jealous about how other people are treated, especially as they are treated better than we are, even seemingly by God. In the kingdom, things got to be different. There is no room for jealousy or envy in the kingdom. In the kingdom, God is a good and generous God who is good to everybody, but in different ways, two different people, and in ways that challenge our understanding of fairness. And it is up to us to trust that despite what we think, God is good and generous. And this is where the parable hits us. You know this, 
But we are an envious bunch. We are the envious. We are constantly bickering about whether or not we have been treated fairly when compared to others. We cannot escape the comparison game. We play the comparison game instinctively. We are always looking to position ourselves in ways that compare us better to other people. If we get less than other people, we think we should be getting the same. If we get the same as other people, we think we should be getting more. If we get more than other people, we think we should be getting twice as much as them. We are always playing the comparison game. Let me give you, let me give you an example. In one very famous Harvard study, people were asked to choose between two income levels. Maybe you've heard this story. People were asked if they would rather make $50,000 a year when everybody else in their community is making $25,000 a year, or would they prefer to make $100,000 a year, twice as much, when everybody else in their community is making twice as much as them, $200,000 a year. So do you understand the choice? Would you rather have $50,000 a year making you twice as rich as everybody else in town or twice as much money as that, $100,000 a year, but the poorest person in town compared to everybody else who makes $200,000 a year? Question, which would you prefer? Most people in the survey prefer, 52%, prefer to make less money overall but more money compared to other people. When given the choice, most people prefer to have more money compared to their neighbors than even twice as much money overall. Being perceived as wealthier than others was more important than most to living more comfortably. We are always constantly comparing ourselves to other people looking for an advantage. Why? Well, from a Christian perspective, because we're sinners, And we also have very low self-esteems which depend on us feeling superior to other people in order to feel good about ourselves. And feeling good about ourselves compared to others, it's so important that we turn it into a matter of justice, of fairness. Even if our needs are cared for entirely, we perceive different levels of treatment as slights and injustices that must be corrected. Danish theologian Soren Kierkegaard calls this the sin of comparison. That's what the workers in the vineyard were committing. Even though they were getting what they had agreed to, because it was the same as others, it triggered the outrage of a perceived injustice. This tendency is even seen in the animal kingdom. In another experiment, two monkeys were trained to perform a task of giving a rock to a lab worker in exchange for a piece of cucumber. The monkeys would give a rock to the lab worker, and the lab worker would give them each a piece of cucumber as a reward. But then the lab worker tried something else. She continued rewarding one monkey with a piece of cucumber for completing the task, but to the other monkey, she gave a grape, which to monkeys, I guess, is a far superior snack. The deprived monkey's jealous reaction is actually worth showing you in this video, which I pulled from a TED video clip. Roll that TED footage. The one on the left is the monkey who gets cucumber. The one on the right is the one who gets grapes. The one who gets cucumber, note that the first piece of cucumber is perfectly fine. The first piece she eats. Uh, Then she sees the other one getting grape, and you will see what happens. So she gives a rock to us. That's the task. And we give her a piece of cucumber, and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us. 
And that's what she does. And she gets a grape. And she eats it. The other one sees that. She gives a rock to us now, gets again cucumber. a rock now against the wall. She needs to give it to us. And she gets cucumber again. <laughs> so this is basically the Wall Street protest that you see here. <laughs> you see the point. <laughs> The monkeys were both fine when they were each receiving a piece of cucumber, but the first monkey became irate when the second monkey started getting more than he did. His reward didn't change. His reward did not change except in comparison to the reward of the other monkey, and he went bananas, or he went cucumber, or however you want to say that. He threw his snack away. He would rather have nothing. He would rather have nothing than less than what the other monkey had. This is the parable of the vineyard in monkey form. Jesus tells the parable to help us see that in life we aren't always treated fairly. Sometimes we get the same when we think we should get more. Sometimes we get less when we think we should get the same. Examples abound, right? Some of us are born into better circumstances than others. Some of us get better job offers than others. Some of us get better breaks than others. Some of us have better genes, better talent than others. Some of us get better parents than others. We'll all have our complaints about how God seems to have treated us in life. Even I complain to God about how unfair life seems to have treated me. You probably know this, but us pastors are really good at the comparison game. I'm always comparing myself to pastors who have churches about the same size as this one, thinking, you know, we should be bigger than them. Or I'm comparing myself to pastors with bigger churches, bigger budgets, bigger headlines, more baptisms. It's really hard for me to get excited for them. I do my own fair share of private grumbling. I think, I don't get this. I don't get this. I mean, from what I can tell, I've worked at this longer. I was hired first. I get up earlier in the morning than some of them do. I have more degrees than them. I, I stay later than them. What gives? It makes me want to throw my cucumber. <laughs> Where is my grape? Give me my grape. You know what this is like. Maybe you have old college friends who are doing better than you in life. You see them on Facebook. Maybe you and your husband are desperately having to, trying to have a child, but you can't. All the while, your friends in life are pumping out babies. <laughs> Maybe your brother or sister are doing better at life than you are. You saw it over Christmas. They give better gifts to their children. Maybe your coworker just got the promotion that you deserve. You're just still stuck down in the workroom. It makes you want to throw your cucumber. We are all jealous people who can't stand being treated less than others. It seems like an injustice. That's what Jesus is exposing in us here. So, what do we do about it? Jesus tells this parable to expose us as sinners. The parable does that. But one thing the parable doesn't necessarily do is tell us what to do next. So what do we do? Well, I think there are a couple things to do in response to this story and I want to briefly share those before we conclude this morning. First, we should repent of the sin of comparison 
and be forgiven. Repent of the sin of comparison and be forgiven. First things first, we have to admit that Jesus is right. Important step in becoming a Christian. You have to admit that Jesus is right. We have to admit that we behave badly in response to the apparent unfairness of life. We have to admit that our greed and jealousy towards others leads to unhappiness. What does the sin of comparison do to us? Lots of bad things. Mark Twain said, comparison is the death of joy. It leaves us feeling constantly dissatisfied. I mean, there's always somebody who has more than us. Comparison distracts us from our blessings and from God's goodness, which are aplenty. Comparison hurts our relationships. I mean, envy isn't good for friendship. Honestly, I have a hard time being friends with pastors because it's hard for me to get around the jealousy thing. I do it, but with difficulty. Comparing ourselves to others is a black hole of sin. As James writes, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. For those of us caught up in comparing ourselves to others, to repent of this sin is to recognize how miserable the comparison game has made us and are our lives better because we're upset that other people have more than we do. No, generally our lives are worse. We need to repent and be forgiven by a God willing to forgive anything. Second, we must trust that our generous Father will take care of us. We must trust that our generous Father will take care of us. It's important to recognize here that at least within the parable, the difference between the workers is not that some received what they deserved and some didn't receive what they deserved. That's not what's going on in the parable. The difference is that some received what they deserved and some received more than what they deserved. Just so we're on the same page there, and because I think this is actually so important, I put together this graphic to help us understand the economic realities here. Okay, so these are the four workers who are hired at four, times, at four different times during the day. This is how long they worked, according to a typical work day. The first ones worked 10, 7, 4, 2, and then they each get one denarius at the end of the day, and so this is calculated as their rate of hourly denarius pay. The ones who were hired early, they get 0.1 denarius per hour, Ones who hired second get 0.14, 0.25, 0.5. So everybody gets a different rate of pay. Now the people, the workers who are complaining, they think that this is what's going on. Next slide. They think that it's only the ones who worked late who are getting what they deserve and that nobody else is. That's what they think is going on. But this is actually not what's going on at all. Next slide. This is what's going on. Everybody gets what they deserve, but some receive more. Now, question, why? Why does the landowner decide to give some more? That's a good question. There's no explanation. And here's the thing, and this is key. There doesn't need to be. God doesn't owe anybody an explanation on why he's extra generous to different people. It's his money. It's his world. He can do what he wants. I mean, who knows what he was thinking? Maybe those workers were having a bad day and God thought he might help them out. Maybe his plan was to give out extra bonuses to everybody else the next day before the grumbling workers ruined it for themselves. Who knows? It's not our business how the master spends his money. It's his right. What right do we have to tell the master how to spend his money? As he says in the story, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? 
It's God's world. And for the record, in this sense, the parable isn't, honestly, a perfect parallel to the problem of unfair wage gaps between workers. And maybe even to the situation of the U.S. women's soccer team, although I will let you be the judge of that. If someone isn't getting what they deserve, that's unfair. If a man or a woman or a black man or a white man do the exact same work, but one gets paid less than the other, that's unfair. Even according to God's standard of justice, there are economic injustices that must be rectified, and that happens all over the world. But again, that's not what's happening in the parable. That's not what's going on in the vineyard. That's not how the landowner is treating his employees. He gives them all what they deserve, as a good boss would. The vineyard owner cares for and takes for them all in different ways for different reasons. He is a good and generous father who cares for his children, if differently, which is his right. That's what we have to remember. God will care for all of his workers, if even in different and surprising ways. In a jealous world of comparisons, that's what we have to meditate on. As Jesus says elsewhere, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. Your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. Yes, there are people who have more than I do. There are people who get grapes to my cucumbers. But that's the wrong perspective. I'm just grateful to have food. I'm grateful to have the gift of life. I'm grateful to have the gift of grace. However much we think we have in life, the truth is that we are all abundantly blessed in Jesus Christ. We who follow Jesus are wealthy beyond what we can possibly imagine. We might not have the biggest house, we might not have the happiest family, we might not have the most successful church, but we who follow Jesus Christ have been given a bonus beyond what any vineyard worker or professional soccer player could expect. We have received the bonus of salvation, the gift of eternal life. And in this sense, our point of contact between life and the parable should end in a place differently than it started. Here's what I mean, and I'll leave you with this. Jesus tells this parable to expose us as the complaining workers who grumble about God being generous to people who haven't worked as hard as we have. Jesus tells this story to expose us as complainers and comparers, which we are. We start out in the story as the early grumbling workers. Once we understand the story, though, we understand what our real point of contact is and should be. Who are we really in the story? We are the undeserving latecomers. We are the workers hired at 5 p.m. and given a full day's wage we do not deserve. Think about it. Do we deserve whatever success we've had in life? Do we deserve the love of our parents and spouse given how we've insulted and neglected them? Do we deserve the gift of life given how poorly we've taken care of our bodies? Do we deserve to keep coming to this church given how little we've invested in making it go? Do we deserve to remain parents given how badly we've parented them at moments? Shouldn't DFS come collect our children from us like right now? And of course, do we deserve the gift of Jesus Christ who came to die for our sins? Do we deserve the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives even though we pretend he's not there? Do we deserve entrance into the kingdom of heaven given how we've disqualified ourselves from that? No, we deserve none of that. But God gave it to us 
anyway, just because, just because he wanted to. That's why, just because, that's the kind of God he is. He is good and generous, and despite what we think sometimes, fair. We were standing bored with nothing to do until we were employed by our master. Salvation is the denarius we do not deserve. Why compare ourselves to others who seem to have more than we do when we of all people have been blessed by Jesus beyond what any of us can imagine? Princes like us don't need to compare ourselves to puppers. We haven't been given cucumbers. We haven't been given grapes. We've been given a feast in Jesus Christ. We're going to close this morning with a song that celebrates this. Uh, The generous provision of God. He's a good master who cares for his workers. He is a good good father who cares for his kids. Band's going to come up. We're going to sing this song. Take a moment and repent of how you've given yourself over to the sin of comparison. Be forgiven by God who is eager to forgive and trust that no matter what else, anybody else is getting paid. You and I serve a good, good father and master who is good, kind, and generous. He's going to take care of us all the way to heaven. Afterwards, I'll come back up.